Will Christians soon disappear? Raptured before seven years of tribulation, when the Antichrist makes war against the Jews? Jesus Christ gave this special warning about the last days. Take heed that no one deceives you. Join us now as seminar speaker Steve Wahlberg presents Rapture Delusions. The book of Revelation says, the time is at hand. Well, thank you very much, and it is great to be here. Thank you for coming, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, this is the first of a four-part series called End Time Delusions. We're going to be looking at some, some very controversial topics from the Bible. Uh, the first one is, you can see the title there on the screen, it's called The Rapture. Our next program, which will follow this one, is on the Tribulation. And the third one is on the very uh, mysterious topic of the Antichrist, and then we'll move into the subject of Israel. All of these are, are really big. Uh, a lot of people around the world, across the United States and, and overseas, are studying these, these subjects. They're thinking about prophecy. They're thinking about Jesus. They're thinking about uh, Earth's final days. And so what we're going to do in this little four-part series is really tackle these issues head-on and try to study them right from, from the good book. Sound like a good plan? If you have your Bibles, let's open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm going to show you a verse. This is verse 11, 211, as, as to the reason why we've chosen to call this series End Time Delusions. It's really based upon one verse, one text that has, has gripped me. I think it'll grip you as we read it. Verse 11 and verse 12, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. These are the words of Paul. Paul wrote, looking down especially to the last, last times, he said, and for this reason, God will send them, and what will he send? The Bible says strong delusion, right, strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow, this is a very powerful text. I think it was Mark Twain who made a statement once, he said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while truth is putting on its shoes. And that line has really impressed me, and especially I think about this. Paul says that strong delusion will sweep the world, and then he says that he wants us here to believe the truth. And so I hope through this seminar, through these four parts, that, that truth will come out, come out of this book, come out of these meetings, and that will unravel and clarify some issues so that we can avoid the strong, some of the strong delusions. There are many of them, but we'll just talk about a few of them in this seminar. So I'd like you to pray with me. Let's bow our heads and uh, talk to God and ask him to come and to help us because we need his help in everything we do. Dear Father in heaven, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for the Holy Spirit to be here, to come to us, to help us. God, please help me. You've, you've brought me out of so many things. You've changed my life in so many ways, and it's, it's a, an awesome privilege for me to be here uh, in front of so many people to share your word. And we pray that you will use this program to reach out around the world to touch just many, many lives. Please guide us now as we begin part one of End Time Delusions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay. Our next text is John chapter 14. Let's turn to John 14, and I want to share a few thoughts about about a movie that a lot of people have seen around the world, and I think you know the name, you can see it up here on the screen, The Passion of the Christ. 
millions of people have seen this film. Whatever your opinion of it, uh, the fact is it was a, a huge bo box office success. Recently, I read approximately $604 million, that's the gross figure so far, uh, internationally as a result of this film. The Passion of the Christ focused on the last 12 hours of Jesus' life, from Gethsemane through the, the trials, his betrayal, and then leading ultimately, ultimately to the final scenes when Jesus uh, carried the cross and was crucified between two thieves, and then he died, and then he rose from the dead, the last 15 seconds talk about his resurrection. Now again, whatever you think about this film, there is one thing that is very clear as a result of this, and that is that as a result of this movie, uh, millions of people around the world have been led to think about the first coming of Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? They have. They have. There's just no, no question about it. Now, I'd like to look at John chapter 14 and ask the question, uh, will Jesus come a second time? Well, let's take a look. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. These are the words of Jesus. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I like that word, you, a place for you. Aren't you glad that Jesus is preparing a place for you up there? Amen. That's what he says. And then he said in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I will come again. And then he said, I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I don't know about you, but I am really looking forward to this event. And I think hopefully all, all of us are. Uh, I'm, I'm getting tired of this world. I'm tired of paying my taxes and paying my mortgage and, and dealing with health problems and dealing with the stresses of life. Uh, I am looking forward to Jesus coming and getting us out of here. And I really think that day is coming soon. There's just so many things that are happening in the world. Uh, there's no question in my mind that, this, that these words will soon occur. Jesus said, I will come again. And so as a result of the passion, a lot of people have been thinking about Jesus' first coming, but there is another major event that has happened just in the last few years that has definitely led people to begin thinking about the second coming. And that is, of course, what happened uh, September 11, 2001, the big day when the towers went down. I don't know how many of you really realize this, but when the twin towers went down, interest in Bible prophecy went through the roof, went through the roof. And people all over the United States and around the world began to think, not just about Jesus' first coming, but they began to think about the whole issue of his, his second coming and whether this event ties in somehow with Bible prophecy and with the book of Revelation. And so as a result of this, people have been grabbing their Bibles like never before. They've been turning to the book of Revelation. They've been trying to understand what is happening in this world, what's going on, what's going down, and what's coming, what is on, on the horizon. And I'll just tell you what has happened plainly. Uh, as a result of the interest from September 11, people have walked into bookstores, Christian bookstores, secular bookstores, they've walked into Walmart, and they have seen right in front of them a series of books which have become the best-selling series of, of fiction books dealing with Bible prophecy that have ever been written, and that series is called Left Behind. The Left Behind books have sold over 62 million copies around the world. 
And a lot of it, I believe, is connected to September 11. You can see here on the screen just a, a few of the books. There's three of them. This is actually part of a 12-part series, and there's the video jacket. It was made into a movie, the Left Behind movie. There was another movie after that. So far, two in this series. Uh, these books have gone to the top of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the USA Today, bestseller lists. Uh, they have crossed over denominational lines, crossed over into the secular world. And I really think a lot of the reason for the success of Left Behind, a lot of it is because of what's happening around the world, the seriousness of the times, especially September 11, and people have just become really, really interested in Bible prophecy. The Left Behind series starts with, if you can see the little, little writing up there at the top of, of that video jacket, it says, in an instant, millions of people vanish. And for those left behind, the apocalypse has just begun. Left behind, basically, it's like I said, it's a fiction series written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And the basic idea is that at some point in the near future, all Christians, true Christians, will just disappear. They'll just vanish. They'll be gone, leaving their clothes and their pajamas on earth. Uh, they describe, it describes... Husbands or people that believe in this or the series, the, the, the movie and the books describe events like people rolling over uh, to kiss their wives in the morning. Let's say a husband is not a Christian and the wife is a Christian and they sleep soundly during the night and the husband rolls over to kiss his wife in the morning and, and there's nothing left of her. All that's there is just her, her pajamas and she's gone. Uh, football players go back and they get sacked and if the quarterback is a, is a Christian, then when the guys get up, he's gone. You've probably seen bumper stickers that say, if, if this car is unmanned, it's, it must be the rapture. Uh, I've heard a story, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard a rumor that even American Airlines has decided that they want at least one non-Christian pilot on board every flight, <laughs> just in case it's true, and they want someone to fly the plane. So uh, the rapture is the... The, the kernel concept of this, this series. And those that are left behind, those that miss this event, those that aren't Christians who don't go up to be with Jesus, then they have to go through a seven-year period of, of tribulation. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen this particular issue of Newsweek. It came out May 24, 2004. Uh, I've got it right here. It was fascinating for me to read this. Uh, I've done a lot of study on this. I've written a book many of you are aware of called End Time Delusions. Uh, this book is in bookstores across the country, and we've actually hired a number of uh, publicists to contact major media. And when this magazine came out, uh, I started getting phone calls and started getting interviews on all kinds of radio stations. As a result of this topic, people wanted to know what my opinion, what my opinion is, and I, I gave it. And the Lord opened up a door for me to be interviewed probably 50 times on different uh, talk shows across the country to talk about left behind, to talk about Bible prophecy and what all of this is about. When you look inside this issue, and I've read it over and over again, I don't know how good your eyes are if you can see that on the screen, but it shows the feature article has a, a little sidebar and it's called The Glossary of Terms, uh, Decoding the Evangelical Lingo. And this is for the average Joe that doesn't understand anything about Bible prophecy and is trying to figure all this out. It gives a description here of the different terms that are being used and then what those, what those definitions are, what they mean. There, one of them you see is the rapture. And then it says the rapture is the moment predicted in Thessalonians. Now remember that. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to come to this in just a little while. The moment predicted in Thessalonians when Jesus will suddenly remove the faithful from the earth. 
And then it mentions after that the tribulation, which, quote, is the seven years of calamity described in the book of Revelation. And then it mentions Armageddon, the millennium, premillennialism, pre-tribulationism, and below that it says that pre-tribulationism was popularized by the 19th century British evangelist John Nelson Darby that Jesus would rapture the faithful before the tribulation. Now remember this because we're going to come back to Darby. But these, these, this little glossary here simply describes the terms, defines the terms for people out there in the secular world, the, the average person, so that they understand what prophecy supposedly is teaching, at least according to Left Behind. Now let me just give you a quick overview of what Left Behind teaches. As I mentioned already, number one, it teaches this idea of, of a rapture. When Jesus will come invisibly, Christians will disappear, vanish, they'll be taken up to heaven. Nobody on earth will really understand what has happened. They won't know that Jesus has come, and that will be the beginning of a seven-year period of apocalyptic terror for those that are left behind. And that's why they call it the Left Behind series, all who are left behind. During those seven years, this man rises up, this evil man called the Antichrist. In the Left Behind series, his name is Nikolai Carpathia. Uh, he, he gains control of the United Nations. He rebuilds the ancient city of Babylon. And from that headquarters, he rules the world. And this man, Antichrist, he eventually makes war on the Jews. This leads to a final battle called Armageddon. And at the end of the seven-year period, that's when Jesus comes visibly in the clouds of heaven for the whole world to see him, and that is called the second coming. So this is the basic scenario that I think, especially as a result of September 11, a lot of people are reading these books all around the country. They've been translated into many, many languages. They're in different countries uh, all over planet Earth, and this is the scenario that people are believing, that they're learning, that they're studying, that they're trying to understand. Now, what we're going to do in this mini-series, End Time Delusions, is we're going to take a look at each one of these in detail, right from the Bible, not just from my own opinion, not just uh, the words of Steve Walber, but we're, but we're going to look at it right here from God's book. Today we talk about the rapture, part one. Our next program, part two, is on the seven years of tribulation. Part three is on the Antichrist, and part four is on the topic of Israel. So that's the sequence that we'll be looking at. Now before we really get into part one and or really take a close look at what the Bible says about the rapture. Uh, there is a new development that I think that you should be aware of. And let me get my Time magazine over here, a recent issue of Time magazine. I think you'll find this very, very significant that anybody that's interested in prophecy should be aware of this new development. Oh, wait a minute. How'd that get up there? Oh, this is another new development I thought I'd weave in here. Well, before I get to the new development in Time Magazine, I was thinking today, Lord, how do I weave this in? Uh, some of you are aware that, that my wife had some complications a few months ago and, uh, in her pregnancy, and there was an emergency uh, operation, a, a cesarean, and on July 22nd, 2004, this little baby was born, and uh, I'm a proud, proud papa. Some people ask me, you know, how's your son? How's he doing? Well, he's doing great. I tell you, my life has changed. I've learned so much uh, about, about God, about his love, about his goodness, 
And I was thinking, I, Lord, this is a heavy topic, getting into the rapture and all these things, and how can I just, you know, weave in a, just a little bit of a, of a baby blessing? So you'll have to forgive me. I'm a proud papa. And so there he is, Seth, Seth Michael Wahlberg. But I wasn't kidding. I wasn't kidding. Uh, there is a new development that you should be aware of. This is actually today's issue of Time Magazine. Just came out. This is November 22, 2004. And uh, this is absolutely fascinating for those that are up on the whole Left Behind series. There's a little article that came, came out in this issue. You can see it right there. I put it in my computer. And it's called, Is It the End of the World as This Author Knows It? And there's a picture of Tim LaHaye. There's a picture of his Left Behind book. And the question is asked there, will LaHaye get left behind? Now, this is actually uh, phenomenal. Let me explain what has happened. The publisher of the Left Behind series is Tyndale Publishing. They're in Wheaton, Illinois. Tyndale has made millions of dollars off of these le Left Behind books. And so, of course, has Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, the, the co-authors. Uh, these books have just become phenomenal uh, bestsellers. Well, what has happened in the last few months, and I know it's been building for a little while, but it actually finally just broke, is that Tyndale has decided to release another series of fiction books. And the first one just came out, same publisher. And, and this series is a rival series to Left Behind, if you can believe that. And this is what this talks about. Let me just read a couple things here. It says, Tyndale House, and I'm reading what's on the screen there, if you can see it, if you've got good eyes. Tyndale House has launched a rival series directly challenging, <clears throat> challenging the premise that born-again Christians will be raptured into heaven while those left behind face the Antichrist during the apocalypse. This new book is called The Last Disciple, and I've got it right here. How many of you have heard of this book, The Last Disciple? Any of you heard of this? Uh, just, a, just a couple of hands. The Last Disciple, written by uh, Hank Hanegraaff and Sigmund Brower, is a book that is, the, is a new fiction series put out by the same publisher, and it says here, The Last Disciple argues that the book of Revelation describes the persecution of first-century Christians under Nero, not some future tribulation of believers. Tim LaHaye, when he found out about this, he was absolutely uh, shocked. He said he felt betrayed. He said that the publisher is taking money that he helped make for them and to use that money to promote this series. He didn't think that any of these books would sell. Well, Time Magazine this week came out and said that The Last Disciple sold 50,000 copies in six weeks versus 85,000 for Left Behind in its first year. So, obviously, people are uh, reading The Last Disciple. The Last Disciple basically says that the prophecies of Revelation about the coming of Jesus, Matthew 24, the Great Tribulation, the Beast, the Antichrist, that all of this is not ahead of us. This is all behind us. This all took place in the first century. Nero was the beast. He was the Antichrist. And the Tribulation was right before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and that's what this series uh, is teaching. I can say a lot about this. I, I'm going to limit myself because we've got a lot more to do. But in a nutshell, what has happened just recently is that now we have two views that are competing with each other in the mainstream Christian world. The left-behind view says most of the prophecies are in the future, after the rapture. The last disciple book says most of them are in the past, around 70 AD. Uh, the left-behind view is technically called futurism. The last disciple view is technically called preterism. 
meaning it was all back there in the past. So you've got the preterists and you've got the futurists, and there is an incredible battle brewing, and I've got some more radio interviews coming up on this. Got one coming up on Monday, one coming up on Tuesday. I actually got a phone call from a, a Christian publication in Florida called Saved Magazine, and they want to interview me on Monday, and then another uh, Christian radio station, I believe it's in Wyoming, will be interviewing me on Tuesday talking about this. A lot of confusion, and I hope in this series to unravel the confusion, and we're going to specifically talk about preterism and about the last disciple more when we, when we get to the topic of the Antichrist, which is our, our third meeting uh, in this series. But let's just talk about the rapture tonight. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians, or 2 1 Thessalonians. Let's take a look at our next text, because this is the mother verse, the mother text. And I, and I really think that the whole last disciple phenomenon has put people on edge and now they're thinking, well, if left behind isn't right, what is right? Maybe it's wrong, maybe it's right, and people are confused. In fact, I heard uh, Tyndale put out a, a radio. They did a whole series of radio ads, and the ad said, what if everything you've learned about left behind isn't true? And this is from the same publisher. Uh, Ron Beers, is, I believe he's the executive vice president of Tyndale, and he's the one that made the decision to do this. And he said, look, there's room for uh, different theories on prophecy, and we all need to be studying our Bibles for ourselves. That's what he said. And so that's why they're doing it. And in the meantime, they're making a ton of money. A ton of money, no question about that. All right, well, let's take a look at the mother text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We read 2 Thessalonians already, 2.11, that talks about the strong delusions. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's take a look at the mother verse about the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, let's look at the 17th verse. Verse 17, Paul wrote, Then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Shall be caught up. Caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Amen. Now, I want to say I believe this verse with all my heart. If anybody's wondering, I believe, I believe this text, and I, I certainly don't believe it has happened yet. I believe it is, it is in the future. And this is the main verse that is quoted by those that believe the left-behind view, and the idea is that when Paul said, we shall be caught up, they interpret this caught up to mean that's the moment when the Christians disappear. That's when we, we vanish, leaving our clothes, our ties, our shoes, our socks, or our pajamas, or maybe our false teeth, uh, who knows, our glasses, whatever we happen to be uh, wearing that we're not going to take with us, uh, that just all gets left behind. And they, and they understand this verse to apply to a, a silent coming of Jesus when Jesus comes in, and nobody in the world knows it. Now, the believers know it, but the world doesn't know it. It's, uh, it's quiet, it's silent, the world has no idea what's going on, and in the blink of an eye, the Christians are just gone. And that is the beginning of the seven years for all that are left behind. That's the way this verse is interpreted by Tim LaHaye and those that believe in the left-behind scenario. We're going to take a look at the context in just a moment and see if the context, if you really look at it carefully, does it support that view. Uh, let me just use a little quick illustration here. 
How many of you, and, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but how many of you can think of a time, or many times, when you have been driving down the highway sometime, maybe on one of these freeways around here, you're driving down the highway, and you happen to be going too fast, faster than you should be going, but you don't really know you're going so fast. You know, your foot's a little bit heavy, and it's on that pedal, and you're, you're just flying down the freeway, and then you happen to glance down at your speedometer, and you, you take a close look, and it hits you like a bolt, like a sober bucket of water on your head, that you are going much too fast, and you need to slow down, or you're going to get a ticket. Don't raise your hand, but can you relate? Anybody relate out there? Uh, this has happened to me more times than I'd like to admit. And what happens in, in that moment when you look at the speedometer, you realize the truth, and you need to slow down. Now, what I'd like us to do, and, and I'm hoping that a lot of people in this world are going to be watching uh, this program. We are recording this not only for, for television, but as a series, and I'm hoping there's all kinds of people out there that are going to be watching this. And what I'd like us to do right now is to slow down, to imagine that we're, we're driving along and we're, we're going too fast, and we need to slow down, and we need to take a close look at what the Bible, what the speedometer, what the truth actually says. Sound like a good idea? I think too many people are just going too fast. They're just going too fast. And they just don't take a close look at what the text actually says. So that's what we're going to do. So let's start with verse 16. And let's take a close look and see what these verses actually say and see if they, if they fit the popular scenario. Verse 16, Paul, this is the context here. Paul said, for the Lord himself, referring to Jesus Christ himself, he will descend from heaven with a what? Does it say with a whisper? No, it says with a, with a shout. And then it says with the voice of an archangel, and then with what else? It says with the trumpet of God. The trumpet of God. And it's going to be so loud that the, ne the next part of the verse says, and the dead in Christ shall do what? They shall rise first. Now, I've had some people say to me, they say, Steve, this is one of the noisiest verses in the Bible. I mean, you've got Jesus coming down with a shout, with a voice, with a trumpet. Do any of you uh, parents have any kids that, that play the trumpet? See any hands out there? Any, any kids? Okay, I see a hand back there. Uh, let me ask you, have you ever heard of a silent trumpet? No such thing. Trumpets are, are extremely loud. And what about the trumpet of God? How loud do you think that's going to be? the trumpet of God. So this is a very noisy verse. Jesus comes down with a shout, with a voice, with a trumpet, and then it says, the dead in Christ. This is a, a bodily resurrection of the dead. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then Paul says, then we who are alive and remain shall be what? Paul said, we shall be caught up. So when the Lord comes down with a shout and voice and a trumpet, that's when we are caught up. And it says we're caught up together with those that have been raised, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, keep reading. See what, see what the speedometer says right after this. Chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you. 
for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, and what day is that? It's this day when Jesus comes down, right? It's the same day. The day of the Lord will come, and how will it come? Like a thief in the night. And people interpret this to mean, look, it's silent. It's a silent coming. Jesus comes quietly like a thief. But when you read the context, the thief idea does not mean he's coming quietly. It means he's coming suddenly and unexpected, unexpectedly. The next verse says, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then what will happen? It says, Then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a pregnant woman. I can relate to that. When my wife started having these uh, contractions, some of them were up to four minutes long, and this, you know, moved things quickly into sort of an emergency mode, and Seth came early. Seth came early. Labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And then it says, they shall, what will happen to those that aren't ready? It says, they shall not escape. They will not escape. So if you read chapter 4, 16 and 17, and then go right down to chapter 5, 1 to 3, what's happening here, what the speedometer says very, very plainly is that Jesus comes down from heaven with a shout, with a voice, and with a trumpet. The dead in Christ rise. Those of us that are alive at that time that are ready will be caught up. We all go up together. And then Paul continues on and says, this great day is going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected. And when it hits, wham, he said it will result in sudden destruction for those that aren't ready, and they will not escape. And so what's happening here is there are, there's two uh, destinies that are outlined. One group gets caught up, and what happens to the other group? The other group, it says plainly, the other group experiences sudden destruction. That's what the text says. That's what the speedometer says, right? One group goes up and one group, wham, they're hit. And it's over for them. And in that light, I want to make sure definitely that I'm among those that, that are ready to go up. What do you say? No, no, no question about it. Uh, I want to be ready. I want my, my son to be ready if, <laughs> if he gets old enough. I mean, I'd love to have Jesus come before he gets old enough so he, so he can be raised up there. I'd rather have my son grow up in heaven than grow up down here. But anyway, when you look at the passage, when you just slow down and read the Bible and go right down through it, uh, it's very clear that there's nothing about a silent coming, nothing about a quiet coming, nothing about a secret coming. Uh, there's, no, there's no hint of time going on after that where people who miss this event have a second chance to be saved. The text says sudden destruction hits and they will not escape. And there's also no, no hint of a seven-year period to follow after that, not in this text, at least not in this verse. This verse doesn't say anything like this. Now, let me uh, show you something else that I think is extremely significant. Remember I mentioned John Nelson Darby this particular issue, here's another issue of Time Magazine. It came out a few years ago. This was July 1, 2002. Here's a picture of flames. There's a cross. It says, The Bible and the Apocalypse, Why More Americans Are Reading and Talking About the End of the World. And this came out not too long uh, after September 11 because, you know, that event hit, and a lot of people are thinking and talking and reading about the end of the world. And that's what this issue is dealing with. And on the inside, there's a whole series of, well, first of all, there's a page here, a lot of, lot of things in this section, but here's a whole section here with all the Left Behind books and how many millions of copies they have sold and what the Left Behind theology is teaching. 
I picked this up in an airport in Atlanta. I was on my way to Canada for a seminar. I was at the airport, saw this cover in a newsstand, picked it up, began to look through it, and I thought, I have got to buy this magazine, no question about it. So I paid, I think it was $3.95, and I read it. Uh, after all the Left Behind books are listed, there's another page here, and you can just kind of see this. Here's an article down here in the gray, and this article is called The End, How It Got That Way. And this article is fascinating. It's, it's written by a man named David Van Bema, who is a reporter who's done a lot of research on this. This is all, all this material is inside the book End Time Delusions, if you want to get all of the information. And this man, this article is called The End, How It Got That Way. How did people get to the conclusion that 1 Thessalonians 4 is talking about this event when millions vanish and, and there's seven years after that? Well, he talks about John Nelson Darby. Here's a little picture there of this, this man. And it talks about how he really began a new trend in prophetic interpretation. Darby lived in the 1830s and beyond that. He, was, uh, he lived in England. He was part of a, an organization called the Plymouth Brethren. He became known later on as the father of dispensationalism. He was a pastor. He wrote about 53 books. And this particular article talks about him. And it calls him the man with the plan who bore a radical new eschatology, which means a new way of understanding the end times. And then he talked about things on earth would get worse until the, the beast arose. And this would happen during a seven-year hell-like tribulation just what Left Behind teaches. And then it says here, quote, Darby's most striking innovation was the timing of a concept called the rapture, drawn from the Apostle Paul's prediction that believers would fly up to meet Christ in heaven. And there it is right there. We're just reading that, right? Paul's prediction, Thessalonians, about believers being caught up to meet Jesus in heaven. And this is what it says. It says, most theologians of the past, most theologians understood this verse as part of the resurrection at time's very end. They understood this as applying to the end. When you look at, when you go down through Christian history for 1800 years until the 1830s and 40s, the majority, according to Time Magazine, and this is true, the majority understood this verse as applying to time's very end. And then it says, listen to this, Darby, repositioned this verse at the apocalypse's very beginning, a small shift with large implications. It spared true believers the tribulation, leaving the horror to non-believers and the doctrinally misled. So here it is, right next to the spread of all the left behind books. On the next page is an article where this man says that most theologians of the past understood this verse as applying to the very end of the world. But Darby picked it up and changed it. He repositioned it at the beginning of a seven-year tribulation, and it says this was a small shift with large implications, large implications, and the entire Left Behind series is based upon that shift, based upon that shift. But is that what the text says? Does the text uh, imply that this is a silent coming and then those that miss this event then have a second chance during a seven-year tribulation? Is that what the text says? Is that what the speedometer says when you just open up and read your Bible very carefully? No, it doesn't. 
This verse talks about Jesus coming down with a shout, a voice, and a trumpet. There's a resurrection. Those that are alive and who are ready are caught up. And those who are not ready, it says it hits, this day of the Lord hits them like a thief. And wham, they experience sudden destruction and they won't escape. That is exactly what the Bible says. And that's the way most theologians of the past have understood this until the 1830s and the 1840s. Now let's look at the second text. That's the mother text. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 52, Paul talked about an event taking place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And this is a, another major verse, and the way this is interpreted by Tim LaHaye and many others, and, and they're sincere, I don't question their sincerity, but this is the way it's understood, that, that one of these days in the twinkling of an eye, people will, will blink, and when they're done with their blink, people will have disappeared, leaving their clothes and their pajamas on earth. And that's the rapture. That's when they're all just gone. Everybody wakes up and wonders where did they go? Which way did they, you know, what happened? And that's when chaos hits the earth and then there's seven years of tribulation after that. That is the way this passage is interpreted. Well, is that what the context reveals? Shall we slow down again and take a close look at our speedometers? All right, now let's go back to 51. Verse 51 says, Paul wrote, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Just a little bit of humor here. Somebody uh, sent us a card when Seth was born, and they quoted this text, and they said, that's the way your life is going to be. <laughs> you, you will not be sleeping anymore, and you'll be changing Seth all the time. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. Well, I don't think that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about what happens when uh, people die. He says, we won't all sleep or die, but we will all be changed. And then he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at what time? It says, at the what? At the last trumpet. Now, there are trumpets in the book of Revelation, and then there's the last trumpet. And the last trumpet, it says, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. That's when, when Jesus comes. In, in, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will do what? The trumpet will sound, just like in Thessalonians. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when you read the passage, when you look at the context here, uh, is Paul talking about a silent event? Not at all. He says the moment when the twinkling of an eye takes place at the last trumpet. And he doesn't say that anybody disappears. He says that's when we're changed. That's when the bodies that we have, these sinful bodies that need, sometimes we need glasses, uh, we have bad backs, we have arthritis, we have heart problems, all kinds of problems. Uh, my mother just went into heart surgery uh, yesterday. I'm very thankful she made it, made it through. My dear Jewish mother that hasn't accepted Jesus yet, that I pray for all the time, I said, Mom, it's a miracle. You're still here. And I said, this is because of prayer. This is because of prayer. I just hope and pray she comes to know the Lord before, before it's too late. But anyway, the bodies that we have that have all these problems, Paul doesn't say we're going to disappear. Paul says we're going to be changed from uh, mortal bodies to immortal bodies, from corrupt bodies to incorruptible bodies when the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised. Hallelujah. That's what it's saying. So again, uh, there's just no hint in this passage that this is anything other than the very end when the trumpet sounds, Jesus comes, and the dead are raised. 
So that is the second text. Now let's look at one other passage. Let's go to Matthew 24 and look at verse 40. This is the third most quoted passage to describe this interpreted event of disappearing Christians before seven years of tribulation. Matthew chapter 24. And let's take a look at verse 40. Matthew 24, 40. 24, 40. Now this is Jesus himself talking. We're not quoting Paul now. We're quoting, uh, quoting Christ himself. Jesus said, Then two men will be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. This is the third passage. And the way this verse is interpreted, this is the same basic way, is that uh, people will blink and all of a sudden one's taken, one's left. The world doesn't know what's going on. People don't know that Jesus has come. It's a, a secret coming of Christ. It's not secret to the Christians, but it's secret to the, to the rest of the world. Those that are left behind have to go through seven years of tribulation. That's what the whole Left Behind series is all about. Well, let's, and you know where I'm going with this by now. What, what should we do? Slow down, right? Slow down and take a look at our speedometers and take a look at what the context says. All right, well, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 24, and let me just give you a quick survey of Matthew 24, just quickly. We don't have endless hours to do this, so this is just an overview. Matthew 24, verse 3. The Bible says, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So the disciples wanted to know about these things, which the context here had to do with the, with the destruction of the temple and then with the sign of his coming and the end of the world. In verse 4, the first thing Jesus said, Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one do what? That no one deceives you. So when the disciples said, Lord, help us to understand your coming and the end of the world, the first thing Jesus said was, watch out that nobody leads you astray. And this verse ought to put us all on our toes, wouldn't you say? And when, when uh, Jesus thought about the end of the world, his coming and the end of the world, he knew there was going to be deception all over the place. There would be end-time delusions sweeping the globe. And so the first thing he said is, watch out that nobody deceives you. Verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and will do what? They will deceive many. So notice the word deceive is used twice so far in verse 4 and then verse 5. Go down to verse 11. Jesus said, many false prophets will rise up, and they will do what? Deceive many. There's the third time it's used. If you go down to verse 24, Jesus said, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to do what? To deceive, if possible, right, even the very elect. See, I have told you before. So he said this four times, warning about deception. And then in verse 26, Jesus said, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Jesus said, don't believe it. So this is part of the false prophets and deception. If they say, look, he's over there, he's in the desert. Or if they say, look, he's, he's coming in some kind, of, some kind of secret chamber, 
some secret place. Jesus says, don't believe that. Don't buy it. And then verse 27, he says, for as the lightning flashes from the east and shines to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So in contrast to these ideas where there's going to be some kind of secret coming, Jesus says, no, it's not going to be that way. He said, my coming is going to be like, like lightning flashing from one part of the sky to the other. That's verse 27. Now then in verse 30, he describes the big day, the big event, what it's going to be like when he comes. Verse 30, he said, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Just like Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, he said that when Jesus comes down and the dead are raised, he said, uh, we'll be caught up together. And this verse says, the angels will come down and gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, it's very clear from this passage uh, that this is talking about the second coming. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, Jesus says the sign is going to appear. The cloud is going to get bigger. And people are going to look up and they're going to see that the cloud's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And it says there will, there will be the sign of the Son of Man. And he'll be coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. And as far as the people of the earth, it says in verse 30, all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see. And this is interesting. I, I don't have time to talk all about this right now. But, but preterists, which is the perspective of the last disciple, the preterist view basically is that that coming took place in 70 A.D. That was the destruction of Jerusalem and that Jesus came sort of symbolically and that him, his coming on the clouds means coming in judgment upon Jerusalem. That's the way the last disciple interprets this verse. But it's, it's very clear that uh, all the tribes of the earth are watching this, not just people in Jerusalem or Rome. All the tribes of the earth are watching and they're mourning and they are seeing uh, this is just a sideline. If you ever get a chance to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, show them this verse. Because the, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, that Jesus came uh, in 1914. They believe that was the second coming. And sometimes when they knock on my door, I open the Bible and I show them this verse. And I show it to them right in their own Bible. In their, uh, what's it called? Their uh, New, New World Translation, I think it is. And I show them that this says that Jesus is coming on a, on a cloud and that all the tribes of the earth mourn and they will see. The lost are seeing him come. So it's definitely a visible coming that the world is seeing. Didn't happen in 70 AD. Didn't happen in 1914. It's still ahead of us. And again, the trumpet sounds. Jesus sends out the angels with the great sound of the trumpet and they gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's definitely the second coming. Now, if you go down to verse 36... Verse 36, Jesus says, but of that day when that happens and that hour know, knoweth no man. Know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Nobody knows exactly when this is going to take place, when he's coming like lightning and when the angels appear and billions of holy beings descend upon this world and the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised and all these things happen. 
Nobody knows when this will take place, not the day or the hour, but only the Father. Verse 37, he said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. It'll be just like Noah's day. Verse 38 says, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So what Jesus is doing after he describes his coming, like lightning, then he goes on and says it's going to be just like Noah's day. Nobody knows exactly when it will happen, but just like Noah's day, they were eating, drinking, and doing all their normal business activities, whatever else, farming, getting married, getting divorced, whatever they were doing. And then he said the day came when Noah went into the ark and the door closed. And then the flood came, wham, and it took them all away. And then he said, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, was that a secret event? Did the flood fall only on a few people? Was it invisible rain? Was there a second boat? For those that missed the first boat, did Noah, did Noah say, if you miss this boat, there'll be another boat? No, there was only one boat, and there was a flood. It was visible. It hit, wham, suddenly, unexpectedly, and they all got washed away. And then he says, this is going to be just like at the second coming so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now then go down to verse 40. Now we've, already, now we've read the whole context. Verse 40 says, what's the first word in verse 40? Then. Then. Now the question is, when is then? When is then? Yes, if you just look at it carefully, then is the second coming. When he comes in the clouds with power, glory, the trumpet sounds, the angels go out, the whole world sees him coming and they mourn because they're not ready. It happens suddenly, just like Noah's day, lightnings, like the flashing of lightning. He says, then two will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord doth come. Wow. So it's very clear when you just slow down and take a look at the context. It's very clear that the moment when two are in the field, one's taken, one's left, that moment is at the very end at the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's no question. Just read the context, take a look at the text, look at it carefully, and it's, it's clear. Now, let me go back to that Newsweek article. Especially notice the last little segment there on the lower Let's see, that's uh, your right-hand corner, the lower right-hand corner. Well, we can just go back. Uh, the glossary of terms there says the rapture is the moment predicted in Thessalonians, which we looked at, when Jesus suddenly removes the faithful from the earth. The tribulation then is seven years after that. And then pre-tribulationism there, it says, was a doctrine popularized by the 19th century British theologian, British, British evangelist, John Nelson Darby who taught that Jesus would rapture the faithful before the tribulation. And that doctrine of Darby, where he picked up that verse and moved it to the beginning, this innovation has worked its way into the evangelical world, and now it has become extremely popular, and the Left Behind series has basically taken the doctrine of Darby and made it into a series of novels about the end of the world. But when you look at the Bible, when you look at the speedometer, the Thessalonians text, the, the Corinthians text, and the uh, 
Matthew 24 text, point by point by point, it's very clear that all of these verses apply not to a secret coming, but to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the end of the world. Is that clear? It's extremely clear when you read your Bible, and therefore, this idea of a, of a secret coming of Christ and the twisting of these verses, these verse, this is really uh, what I call, and I think it's straight from what the Bible says, it's a, it's a strong delusion. It's an end time delusion. It's one of many delusions, many delusions that the Lord has warned us about. It is not biblical at all. And I am thrilled to report to you that this book, which came out in April, End Time Delusions came out in April of this year, right after the last Left Behind book came out. This book is now in bookstores across the country. It's in all family Christian stores. It's in a lot of Berean stores, logo stores, uh, parable stores. It's in all kinds of places. The publisher has decided to reprint it for the third time in about nine months because people are reading it across the country. I'm getting responses from pastors from all kinds of people. We've had all kinds of radio interviews as a result of this, and I just know that the Lord has his hand on this, and he's trying to clarify these issues for sincere Christians who are searching for light. Amen? Amen. And there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people, that are searching for light and are trying to understand truth, and God wants us to be ready and to understand truth instead of strong delusion in these last days. Jesus definitely did come once, didn't he? The Bible's very clear. He was here. He lived. He suffered. He died. He rose, and he went to heaven. Is he coming back again? We read John 14, verse 3. The Bible's very clear. Jesus said, I will come again. I'm coming again. And I believe with all my heart that the key to being ready for the second coming is receiving what he did for us when he came the first time. Amen. Um, I told you about my little, little boy, Seth. But before Seth was born, uh, the, the top being in our house, besides me and my wife, is that we, had a little, we have a little dog named Rerun. And I'll just tell you a quick story. One day I was in my, my, ha my house, and uh, I was working on something, and Rerun's a little tiny dog, and he was moaning and moaning because he wanted to sit on my lap. And I just told him, Rerun, you can't. I can't have you on my lap right now. I've got stuff to do. And he cried. <laughs> He kept crying, and I just said, Rerun, I can't take you on my lap. I've got stuff to do. And he kept crying, and finally I said to him, Rerun, get out of the office. Go. And he looked at me, and I said, Rerun, go. Get out of the office. And he looked at me, and he whimpered, and I said, Rerun, go. So he, he left. Walked down the hallway, went into the master bedroom, and plopped on my wife's side of the bed on the pillow and went to sleep. Well, after about an hour, I was starting to feel a little bit uh, guilty. You know, I really yelled at my dog. <laughs> And, uh, and I went down the hallway, went into the room, and I was hoping that my little dog still, you know, still liked me. So I went over to the pillow, and there he was, and I said, rerun, rerun, and his little ears perked up. And then I looked, I looked for the sign, and he gave it to me. He rolled over, and he gave me the, the tummy, you know, the tummy thing. And, and as soon as he did that, I looked at him, and I knew that even though I pushed him out of my office, he still had the same love that he, he's always had. He's a great, great little dog. Great little dog. Well, anyway, why, I, wanted, I told you that story at the end of this program for one reason, simply this. You may have pushed God out of your life many times. We've all done it at least once. Pushed him out. Just like I pushed Rerun out of that room. Told him to go. We've told God, go, 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 go. I don't want you in my life today. 
And yet, uh, Rerun still loved me. And where did he get that love? I believe that God put a little bit of his own love in a dog. <laughs> and no matter how many times we've pushed the Lord away, you know, his arms are still open. He still loves us. And now that I have a baby, I mean, there's just no comparison. I, I, I love my dog, but uh, I love my son much, much more. And it hit me the other day. It hit me so strong. I've learned so many lessons from my, my little almost four-month-year-old. It just hit me, and it just brought tears to my eyes as I looked at his little smiling face, and I thought about the fact that God gave his own son to save my son. I, I'd almost rather have, I would rather have my son saved than me. God gave his son to save my son. God gave his son to save your children, to save you. No matter how many times we've pushed him out, he still loves us. He still loves us. He suffered, he bled, and he died. And he rose, and he went up. And the Bible says he's coming back again. Amen? Hallelujah. He's coming back again, and he wants us to be ready. He doesn't want us to be believing any strong delusions, uh, no false doctrines. He wants us to study our Bibles. He wants us to know the truth. And he wants us to be prepared for whatever happens before he comes so that as we deal with those events, we can stand up for God, stand up for Jesus, stand up for the Bible, and stand up for truth no matter what. And when the day finally comes, when it happens like a thief in the night, and we look up and we see the Lord coming down with billions of angels, billions of angels, we'll be ready to be caught up, to meet him in the air, where we will always be with the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. May we all be ready for that day. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, Go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.